Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Hey guys, Pastor Josh here. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast, whether you do that through our app and listen every week or you're just listening for the first time. Hey, if the podcast is a blessing to you, if you would, you know, mention us on social media at OverflowDFW or hashtag OverflowDFW. We'd love to hear how we're being an encouragement to you. You can also email us at OverflowDFW at gmail.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and here's today's message. So David is regarded not only of the not only as the greatest king in the history of Israel, but actually one of the greatest kings, one of the greatest leaders that the world has ever known is King David. In fact, the nation of Israel, how many know the nation of Israel is really as small as it is? I, I, I think someone told me one time that the nation of Israel is about the size of uh like New Jersey or something like that. Like it's it, like the nation of Israel is so small. Most people don't know that because the world really revolves and has revolved around Israel for thousands of years. Did you know that? And so, so many of the world events that we hear about are around Israel. Well, the flag on Israel, there is a star on that flag is called the star of David. Why? Because David is probably one of the most important figures in the history of Israel. And David's life, the reason why it's so important to us as believers is because the life of David is a prophetic picture of Jesus. He really shows us uh, what Jesus is going to look like. In fact, many people refer uh, to, to Jesus as the son of David because Jesus was a descendant of David. And, and uh, David's lifestyle is a prototype of the first commandment, of what it looks like to have our lives devoted to the first commandment, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so David shows us what it looks like, even before the Holy Spirit, even before the cross, David is a picture of a person that is striving to love God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and all of his strength. He was someone who was driven towards the Lord, and he, his heart was hungry for God. And so when we look at the life of David, part of the reason that we're so drawn to him is because even before the cross, even before the infilling of the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit will come upon David, but the Holy Spirit wasn't dwelling in him. He didn't have the constant connection that we had, but even in the life of David, he had a heart that pursued the Lord. And David is one who is known, whose heart longs after God. In fact, so central to the story, probably besides Jesus, the central figure really of the New Testament is Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? Most of the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by the hand of Paul. And Paul stands up in the book of Acts. This is his first missionary journey. He's in Antioch, and it's Acts chapter 13. Just so we get some New Testament in today. How many of you are with me? And uh, this is what he says. He stands up and preaches to the, the uh, in, in Antioch, his first missionary journey. He stands up and preaches. He said, The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of slavery. Now he's giving us some history, the history of Israel. You guys with me on this? He put up with them for 40 years through the wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations of Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. 
after that, after that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Now, if you guys know your Bible, you know that he's just basically kind of going over this huge portion of the, of, of the Old Testament. Then verse 21, then the people begged for a king. So Israel says, we want to be like other nations. We want a king. Now, how many know that, that God did not want the children of Israel to have a king? It wasn't his desire for them. His desire was that he would be their king. His desire that he would be the one that would lead his people. They were, the children of Israel are considered the children of, of God at this time. Now, we, all have, we are all children of Abraham through faith in Jesus. But at this time, they were, they, were the, they were the people of God. And God said, I want to be your king. And so they said, no, no, no. We want to have a king like other nations. We want to be like everyone else. We want a king to make decisions. We want someone with skin on that we can relate to. Right? Then uh, in that, God gave them, so after Judges, now before Kings, they had what's called Judges. And there's a book in your Bible called Judges. And Judges, what they were is they were people that ruled the land, and they, would, they basically took care of all the government issues, right? Total different than government than what we think of. We live in a democracy, and so your, your opinion actually matters. And those times, uh, people's opinion didn't matter. It's just whatever the, the people that were in charge decided. Um, then verse 21, it says, the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul. Everybody say Saul. Now, Saul is very central in the story of David, and we're going to be talking a lot about him. A man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. So he was king for 40 years. Everybody say 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So over a thousand years, we know that it's basically roughly a, a thousand years between the life of David and the life of Jesus. A thousand years later, his reputation is still one whose heart longs after God. How many know that that's an awesome testimony of your life? If no one, I've been praying this. This has been my prayer this week. Lord, at the end of my life, it would be awesome if people said I was a great pastor. It would be awesome if people said I was a great husband. It would be awesome if people said I was a great father. It would be awesome if people said I was a great graphic designer. But if people could only say one thing about me, let them say that Josh Brown was a man after God's heart. That, that's what I want. If, that, if you could only put one thing on my tombstone, put that on there. That's what I want. That's the goal of my life, to be one like David, whose heart longed after God. How many know that that's what God desires for us? God is so obsessed with us. Did you know that? That God is obsessed with you. And he wants our obsession. He wants us to be totally obsessed with him. Y'all okay today? Then it says this, he will do, knowing that if God has our heart, he will do everything I want him to do. And it is this one, King David's descendant, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. So again, get this picture. Israel. Asking for a king. God, give us a king. We want to be like other nations. So God sets up this man named Saul. Now, Saul is very central, very uh, important in the character development of David. And this is what Scripture says about Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Now, if you know a lot about the story, Saul kind of becomes the villain. Right? In fact, we're going to talk about Goliath next week. But Goliath was not the biggest giant David faced. Saul was a greater giant than David ever faced. Crazy, huge giant that he faced for years, for decades. He dealt with this man 
Saul, whom David loved. David actually loved Saul, and Saul hated David. It's crazy. So it says this about about Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. It says, Saul, an impressive young man without equal. So when God comes and he picks this man, Saul, he looks and he says, there's this man, Saul. He's sharp. And this is what it says about him. There is no equal among him. He's a head taller than any others. So Saul was was the people's champ, right? He was the guy that the people would look at and say, man, that's the guy I want to follow. Look how sharp he is. When he stands up in a crowd, you can see him. He's tall. He's good looking. He's he's eloquent when he speaks. He's a guy that I would follow. He would be the one that I would follow. If he walked in the room, we would all want to shake his hand. We would want to greet this man, Saul. He, and, and listen, not only was he good looking, what, not only did he possess great leadership skill, Scripture says that there was no one like him. There was no one like him in the land. God said, I want him to be king. People will follow him. And guess what? People did. So it started off well with, 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 uh, with Saul. In fact, Saul was considered to be one of the prophets. There were times in Saul's life where he would, there would be, the band playing, the prophetic band would play, and, and Saul was there among the band, and he would prophesy. It says the Spirit of God would come upon him, and he would prophesy. He knew the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord. He started off well. He, did, he was doing everything right in the beginning. But how many of you know that it's not always how you start, but it's how you finish? And this is the struggle with Saul, is that he becomes king, and something happens, is the kingship got a hold of him. It went to his head. And all of a sudden, Saul started entering into some behaviors that weren't pleasing to the Lord. And the first thing that he did is he functioned in presumption. Now, you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you're following along with our Bible reading, I think uh, you'll be there pretty soon. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, the children of Israel are fighting the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were very much a recognized enemy, a foe of the children of Israel. And so they're they're fighting, they're losing ground, they're losing soldiers, they're losing the battle. So Saul says, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to sacrifice, present a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, you got to understand, Old Covenant, you couldn't just go and make a... It's not like church today where anybody could worship. There were certain people that, that worshiped. Are you with me? As far as like with bringing sacrifice, only certain people could do those type of things. So Saul says, hey, we need to make a sacrifice. So he calls a prophet who was functioning as a priest, Samuel at the time, the same guy that, that uh, who is another key figure in this story. So Samuel is like, okay, I'm on my way. I'm going to show up and I'm going to offer a sacrifice and the Lord will give us favor on this battle and we'll win. So Saul is like, all right, this will be awesome. Let's get the prophet in here. Let's make the sacrifice. Let's get God's favor. And then we're going to go, and we're going to take over the land, and we're going to win this battle. So what happens is Saul, is Saul is waiting for Samuel, and he doesn't show up fast enough. So he's like, you know what? We've been waiting, you know, for Samuel for a while. Maybe he's not going to show up. You know what? I'll just do it. I'm king. I mean, you know, there's no one like me in the land, so I'll just offer the sacrifice, and we'll, we'll get the sacrifice before the Lord, and we'll win the battle. But this displeased the Lord because it was not the way that the Lord had intended things to do because Saul was a king, not a priest, and not a prophet. See, he thought he could act on behalf of Samuel to do the works of a priest. Can I tell you today that nothing will frustrate your purpose? Like trying to do something that was never ours to do. 
Nothing will frustrate your purpose more than trying to function in a role that you don't belong in. Trying to be like someone. Well, I, I, I've seen, he probably saw Samuel offer sacrifices dozens of times. He, he probably knew the rituals, but he was not the man for the job. His job was to be the king. His job was to lead the battle. His job was not to present the sacrifice. His job was to obey. And he failed to do that. So the Lord and Saul have this tension. And then the Lord gives him what's seemingly another chance. He allows him to lead in conquest to uh, this group called the Amalekites. And he gets rebuked by Samuel. And then he goes and he fights the Amalekites. And the second thing he falls into the Amalekites, the first sin that he did was presumption. Functioning in a role that wasn't his. The second thing that he does is he functions in disobedience. So God says this. He says, listen, I want you to go. I'm giving you the people, the Amalekites, and I want you to wipe them out completely. Wipe everything out. Don't even take the spoils of war. Now, one thing that would happen in in biblical times is that people would go in and they possess the land, and they would take the king kind of as a trophy. Okay? And uh, there was a king named Agag. And God told him, he said, don't take Agag. Take, you know, kill the king. Don't, don't take any spoils. Now, a king would be considered a spoil of battle. In other words, treasures. Well, Saul, because he was so loved and adored by the people that followed him, he thought, well, if I don't let them have anything from fighting this war, then they're going to get mad at me. This is basically what happens. All the people will get frustrated. So what he does is he says, listen, I know what God said. I know God said that we're not supposed to leave the king alive. I know that God said we're not supposed to take any spoils from battle, but you guys, y'all worked hard today. You deserve it. Go ahead and just just function in your entitlement and just go ahead and take what belongs to you because you actually won the battle. And this broke the Lord's heart. This broke the Lord's heart that Saul would disobey the Lord, disobey the command of God. Now, Now, you can argue whether you think it was right or wrong for him to take out the Amalekites. What was wrong was for him to disobey the Lord. Are you with me? See, Saul started functioning with his prideful spirit. Pride always leads to disobedience. It always, it always says, I've got a better way. I know God said to do it this way, but I've got a better way. And this displeased the Lord. In fact, check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. Whoa, that's intense. It's intense that God would ever say he was sorry he did something. So God looks at the disobedience. He looks at the presumption of Saul. And he said, I'm sorry I ever made him king. I wish I would have picked someone else. Beloved, I pray that God never says that about me. I pray that God never looks at my life and says, you know, he was the right man for the job, but he just couldn't obey me. He was just the right man for the job, but he couldn't stay in his lane. He had to do what he saw someone else doing. Listen, Paul functioned in this, I'm sorry, Saul functioned in this rebellious spirit. And God, God actually comes to, to Saul later and says, listen, it's not, because he was like, oh, I messed up. Once he got caught, he said, yeah, I messed up. Let's sacrifice to the Lord to atone for my sins. He's like, do you think God wants your sacrifice? He doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. But you're functioning in rebellion. This is where he says that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. You're, being, you're like a witch functioning in this role. And this is what God continues to say right here in verse 10. He says, for, or verse 11, 
for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my commands. Paul, Saul functioning, sorry, Saul functioning in a spirit of pride. Can I tell you today that God will only resist the resistant? It would have been one thing if, if, if Saul was weak. But it wasn't about his weakness. It was actually about his strength. It was the strength of himself, the pride. I can do this. I can do what I want. I'm the king. I'm the man. God chose me. I can do what I want. Not necessarily. Let's back up. Who are you, obe- who are you obeying? Are you obeying the people or are you obeying the Lord? See, God wants to be the source of our strength. He has no interest. Listen, God has no interest. Let me say this. God has no interest in your independent strength. None. God is not impressed by how much you can do. God is impressed by how much you can obey. And see, we, we're, we're taught our whole lives. We, we live in a culture that teaches you, be strong, be independent. And the Lord's saying, come to me, be weak, and be dependent upon me. Stop fighting for your dependence. Stop functioning in the way that you want because God has designed you to rule. God has designed you to reign. But will you function in a spirit of obedience, even when you're weak? And this is what David shows us. I love the life of David because David, listen, David didn't get it all right either. Let's just be real. David is the greatest king that we ever knew, but he made a lot of mistakes. And we're going to talk a lot about those during this series. David made a a lot of mistakes, but the difference between him and Saul is that David had what we call an obedient spirit. Even though he was weak and even though he failed at times, he always went back to the Lord. He didn't function out of a spirit of pride. So at this point, all these things happen and God's like, I'm so done. I'm so done. Now, God is patient. God is gracious. But God got fed up. He'd had enough. Now, we got to look at this through the lens of the new covenant. Come on. Thank God we have Jesus. That God God said, well, I'll never be done with them. I've already paid the price. There's always a way back. But with Saul, there was no way back, mostly because of his rebellion. So at this point, Samuel, who was the prophet, disappears from Saul's life. Now, you, gotta, you guys got to get something. They weren't like, hey, I'll see you every once in a while. He was the prophet of Israel, and he was the king. Prophets and kings are always meant to run together. It's the way it is. Are you guys with me? It's the kingdom. Prophets and kings. Priests and kings. It's, it's the kingdom. It works together. It's the way that God designed it. But at this point, God said, Samuel and Samuel said, I want to go away. I don't want to be around him anymore. And that was, sh- that was a prophetic picture that the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul as king. And it says this, scripture tells us that he went and he wept. So he wasn't like an angry prophet, like, I can't believe you being disobedient. I can't believe you being presumptuous. He was like, my heart is breaking for you, Samuel. Why did you disobey the Lord? And he goes into, into hiding, and he actually fears for his life because he knew that the Lord had taken his hand off of Saul, and he feared from his, for his life from the, from the king Saul. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is where we're, we're introduced to David. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. 
For a man named Jesse who lives there, for who I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And when they arrived, Samuel took one look at El- So get this picture. So God's like, quit crying. Quit crying about it. As the old is gone. The new has come. I've got a new king. I want you to go. He's, he's, of this, he's with his family. They've got all these kids. There's like eight, eight boys. And the, the dad's name's Jesse. I want you to go into town. And one of his sons is going to be king. He don't tell him which one. He just says one of his sons. So here's Samuel, you know, gets up, washes his face. Like, all right, let's go. God's done with Saul. We could just leave him there. And let's go find this new king. And so he saddles up. You know, you guys got to understand, like, he was like, the man, you know, the tabloids would have been writing about Samuel pulling into town. So here he is pulling in in his Rolls Royce, right? Pulling in with all of his entourage, you know, everybody taking pictures. And here's, here's Samuel rolling into town, gets out, walks in to this family, Jesse, and he's going like, why are you here? He's like, well, you know, we, God's got some business here. So I went, oh, man, everybody's freaking out. You know, is he going to bring judgment? Is he going to bring judgment? No, 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 I'm here to select the king. And so he tells Jesse, he's like, one of your sons is going to be king. And so he started bringing his sons out, probably from the best looking, the most talented, all the way down to the ugly one who's, you know, cleaning up poop in the back. Let's just be real. So what happens is it says that Samuel, he brought his first son out, Eliab, and it says he took one, one look at him and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. Remember, that's what we did with Saul. For I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the way that you see them. People judge on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we love this scripture don't we? Oh, the Lord looks at their heart. What we normally do is we normally dismiss people's behavior with the scripture, right? Oh, they're, they've got a good heart. God wasn't talking about the, the, the sin condition in his heart. He was talking about his potential for greatness. Are you guys with me? So don't be pulling that scripture out of context anymore. You don't have permission. I just gave you the proper context. <laughs> oh, he's got a good heart. Well, right here. Let's look in context. So God says, this is the way that I measure a man. You measure by his height, I measure him by his depth. Then Jesse told son of Abinad to step forward and walk in front of Jesse. He's like, bring another boy out. Bring the next one. This isn't the one. Bring out the next one. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord chosen. Then Shemiah. Samuel said, neither is this one the Lord chosen. In the same way, all of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. So he's like, bring the next boy. This isn't the one. Come on, guys. I'm old. I'm a prophet. Would you guys just hurry up and bring the right boy in? Would you just get them all in the room and I can just, ah, this is the one. He's, he's the right man. It's got to be him. So he gets down to number seven, child number seven, and he's like, this isn't the Lord's either. He's like, and he looks at Jesse and he's like, Jesse, don't you have any more boys? He's like, oh, I do, but you wouldn't be interested. You wouldn't be interested in him. He's, he's not, he didn't really have, he's not really king material. He's not really the guy that you would pick. I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he's the run of the family. He's this like weird ginger kid who doesn't have a soul. And he, he's out. <laughs> this is totally a joke. So he's like, he's out here. He's, he, we keep him out back and he watches sheep. 
you know, I mean, somebody's got to watch the sheep, so we just figured we'd throw it. He's been doing it most of his life. He's just out there watching sheep. He's like, well, bring him in. Let's see what the Lord has to say. Sit for him at once. And then he says this, I will not sit down until he arrives. And it says in verse 12, so Jesse sent for him, and he was dark and handsome. Oh, with beautiful eyes. Uh, most translation says that he was ruddy. He was darkened by the sun. He was gingerish. And the Lord said, this is the one. This is the one. I know that everybody else picked him last, but this is the one I pick him first. So as David stood there among his brothers, I mean, how, you know, David is probably, some people say he was his youngest, 10 12, maybe 13 years old. I have a nine-year-old son, and I know how he is, so I can imagine how much it would be in a, a couple of years, kind of concerned about that. I mean, his brothers are standing there, and he's like, come on. Y'all used to complain that I was mama's boy, but I'm God's boy. You know, how, 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 did, he, how did he not get so full of pride at this moment? His brothers are there, and he brought David, and he anointed him. And it says this about David. It says, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David that day. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David that day. The Spirit of the Lord left Saul and was put on David to be the king. The eighth choice. David was underqualified. He was, in all human standards, all human standards, not the right man for the job. The most unqualified. A king? He's been doing nothing but watching sheep. He's just a kid. He's been watching sheep his whole life. He's been cleaning poop. He's been Sure, he's been fighting off lions and bears, but a king? Look at him. Even his family. Even his, fa- even his dad didn't believe in him. His own father didn't believe in him. Listen, when you're chosen, come on. When you're wanted by God, it's the only qualification you need. I remember I remember when I was 18 years old and I got saved. Um, we used to walk the streets in Odessa, Texas. Yeah, they have streets there. And we used to walk in the hood. Yes, they have a hood there. Every town has a hood. And we used to walk the hood and pass out gospel tracts. And uh, we kind of developed some friends with some people. And there was this woman one day, and we were ministering to her. We used to carry our little pocket. You know, we didn't have Bibles on our phone. We didn't have phones that we walked with. We had we carried these little Bibles in our back pocket, full, fill them full of tracts and going and witness to people. It was awesome. This is how I got discipled. And we were talking to this woman, and, and she just starts talking to us about the Lord, and she's like jamming the scriptures out. And we're just like, whoa, dang, you know, why are you living in this crack house? You know, and you got to like know the Lord, and or you have this like history with God, but there's no application in your life. We were really, I was really troubled by that. I was like, you know, I don't know, like half the scripture. I mean, this woman's like preaching to us, and she's like blasted on crack or something. And, uh, and I, and she said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I was like, God called, God called me to preach to young people. I'm going to be a youth pastor. And I said, I'm, I'm going to Bible college next year. And she looks at me. And she goes, you don't need no Bible college. 
She's like, I haven't been to Bible college, and I know more word than you. And I remember that moment saying, oh, man, but I do need Bible college because it's what God called me to do. But I appreciate what she said. And, but I remember that moment thinking, you know, there's really nothing in my life that will qualify me for the work of the ministry. Nothing will qualify you for the work of your ministry, whatever that is. There's nothing you can do. They don't educate. I'm not minimizing education. Education's important. I'm not minimizing experience. Experience is important. But there's nothing. Well, listen, when you're chosen, some of you, God has called you. He's put a dream in your heart to do something. What you need to do is you just need to get on Microsoft Word or go online and find you a little certificate. Come on and print it up and get some Get some wad out, get some liquid paper, and write out whatever that's for. Gets you some credentials, right? Wad that out, and just get you a big old fat Sharpie and write on there, chosen. Because when God put that dream in your heart, he picked you. And there's something about being chosen. There's something about when you pick me, I'm qualified because you picked me. You didn't pick me because I'm qualified. You picked me, and then you qualified. See, God doesn't. God doesn't necessarily call the qualified, but he always qualifies the called. We know this. And so when God put an assignment in your heart, when he put it, you might have been picked dead last by everyone else. Everybody else might shake your head and and go, that's a weird dream. (laughs) World changer. (laughs) Oh, isn't that sweet? Oh, you'll, you'll you'll get grown up and jaded one day and those dreams will get smaller. Listen, when God calls you, he's the one that qualifies you. And that is enough. And it's way better than any man going, yeah, him. I mean, what if David, what if he showed up and he said, I know who the king is. He's, he's out there watching sheep. I mean, wouldn't that have been a cooler story for Jesse? For David, wouldn't he have a little bit more security? If the people around him believed him, nobody believed in him. Nobody. But God picked him. And his qualification came because God chose him. Listen, when you realize that God wants you and you realize that God picked you for this, whatever you're in, the struggle that you're in, that God picked you, that he assigned you, guess what? Those struggles that come your way, God knows about them. God knows the tensions you face, but he picked you. And if God picked you, then you can endure. You can endure anything. And we see this through the life of David. What was it that caused David to catch God's eye? What was it that this little shepherd boy, this boy that never took baths, fed sheep, cleaned up after sheep? I mean, shepherding was an important role, but it surely wasn't regarded. What caused God to catch David's eye? What caused God to look through the whole earth? It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What caused God to be looking through the earth and go, Look at that shepherd boy. He's the one. What caused God to do that? I believe there's three things that, that that were in David that God saw in him this day. And the first thing that God saw in David is that David had a heart of devotion. Everybody say devotion. See, David was willing to serve God in obscurity with sheep. See, David didn't just watch sheep. David wrote songs. 
We, we see this later, that, that Saul actually brings David in to play music to him. What was David doing out in those fields? He was, he was serving God in the, in the menial task, the thing that nobody else wanted to do. David did the job. He was just devoted. He was faithful to watch over the sheep. And God was training him. God was training him to, to let David watch his sheep, the children of Israel. He was de- dependable. David had learned a tenderness because whenever you're a shepherd, you have to be tender with sheep because sheep are skittish. And so God was, was, was teaching David. He saw this in David, that he was faithful. He was faithful to be tender when he could get frustrated and he could smack them. God said, no, he's tender with the sheep. The sheep love him. And this is how David would leave later, lead later. And David, listen, David was so devoted to the little task. We all want the big task, don't we? We all want the task, and, and I'll speak to millennials here. I'll use that word, which is weird, because I never use that word. But they say that, you know, the, the studies, and, you know, we're pretty good at reaching people under 30 here. But they say this. They say that millennials want to do something that matters. And I think we all do, but, but that's, you know, that's why we want to buy, you know, shoes that when you buy a pair, someone else buys a pair. That we're, the whole world is, you know, make a difference. Everybody wants to make a difference. Everybody, praise God, we all want to make a difference. But will you serve God in the little thing? Will you... Will you drop the french fries in the fryer and serve God and love God that way? Or does it have to be something glamorous? Does it have to be something sexy in order for God to get glory out of it? Do people have to know your name or will you be dissatisfied with the little task? See, God saw that he was willing to be great in small moments so that he would remain small in great moments. Let me say that again so you can get this. God saw this in David. He saw that he is willing to be great in the small moments and that he would, be, he would remain small in the great moments. So how big are you in the small? How big are you in the little task? This is what God wants. God wants constant devotion, whether the task be influence thousands or the task influences nobody. How devoted are you? I love how that once David is here and they anoint him. I mean, can you imagine the the swell that happened to him? I'm I'm the one. It's going to be me. We don't see this in David. In fact, I love this. that David goes back to the fields. It's kind of like they were like, hey, David, you're going to be the king. Yeah, let's go go sit under Saul. Let's learn. He's like, guys, uh, can we be done here? Because, you know, the sheep need to be taken care of. You know, one of them might get wet and drowned, or, or they might go hungry, or they might, all the things that can happen to sheep. I need to get back to my sheep. I need to take care of what God has entrusted to me. And David goes, he's like, and by the way, I have a, the sheep are going to nap at 2 o'clock, and I have a worship set with the Lord at that time. So I need to get away, and I need to spend some time with my sheep. David was totally not impressed with being anointed king. He was devoted to where he was at. Listen, when serving God is our purpose, he will bring purpose to you. When you're in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time, God will bring his purpose to you. Do you could you use 20 bucks? 40? But you could use 20, right? Now, they moved the chairs yesterday, but... Because you were in the right place at the right time, there's 20 bucks. You're just sitting there serving, 
saying amen, laughing at the preacher's jokes. Right place, right time. You got picked for it. Are you willing to serve God? Are you willing to do the things, the little things? Make sure you're where you need, where you need to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing. What if David wasn't in the fields that day? What if he decided to cut into town because one of his friends got a new Xbox? I mean, come on, this is the dream of a tour. What if he wasn't in the fields that day? I mean, it probably would have been easy to, to find somebody else. What if David wouldn't have been in the fields that day? No, he was there at the grind. He was devoted to the small things. The second thing that David had was desire. Everybody say desire. You know what desire is? Desire is a fire inside of you. That's what desire is. <clears throat> God, and listen, God had David's desire. And this is what it says of him in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now, this is right after Saul sins the first time. And it says, the Lord had sought a man after his heart. So David was already serving the Lord. David already had a heart for God. How many know that this was the heart that God wanted for the entire nation? This is why God was like, I don't want to give you a king. I want to be your king. I want to be the one to lead you. I want you to love me. I just want you to love me and be in love with me and and let me be your leader. And they said, give us a king. He said, all right. Well, if I'm going to give you a king, I'm going to give you a king that possesses the heart that I want for the whole nation. So I'm going to get one who will be, who I will be their king. And this is what caught God's eye with David. Saul was the people king, people's king. His desire was the approval of people. His motivation for some of his rebellion is because he was more bent on pleasing man more than pleasing God. David was quite the opposite. He just returned to the fields. Why? Because he wanted to be with his God. See, one thing about desire is desire is discovered and this desire is nurtured. Y'all okay today? He said, well, how did David, how did David have such a desire for God? He discovered it. Listen, you are not born with a desire to serve God. You're not born with that desire. You're born with a desire to do whatever makes you happy. You were born spoiled little brats. We all were. But David discovered the desire to seek God while he was seeking God. David nurtured this desire, and he found this desire when he was bored at night, playing under trees, singing, the Lord is my shepherd. Hey, God, how you doing? It's 2 o'clock. It's time for our worship session. Nobody else is around except for a few bugs and some sheep. Hey, God, here I am again, just loving on you. I don't feel like it today, but I'm going to do it anyway. And guess what that put in David? A desire so much, so much desire in David to serve God. Listen, this is one of the beautiful things about the story of David is he maintained this heart that went after God even until the end of his life. He maintained that same heart that he had as a shepherd boy. I love that so much. That he said this in, in, in Psalm chapter 27. He said, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. It's the same stuff that he was singing, that he was doing when he was a little shepherd boy. He was nurturing desire. See, God had David's want. That's what our desire is. Our do- desire is our want. How many of that God wants our want? God wants to be wanted. You're wanted by God, but God wants to be wanted by you. 
Not just your discipline. Not just your religious service. Those things are great, and that might nurture the desire in there. And I believe that's the way it was for day. I bet he didn't feel the Lord the first time he worshiped. He found it. And then he got addicted, and he fell in love with it. And listen, our, our desires will always influence our will. And you guys have to understand something. The difference between the want and the will. David had possessed both. He, desi- he had the desire and he had the drive. The will and the want. It's like, I want to lose 30 pounds. But I also want a double cheeseburger. Whatever is my greatest desire, we'll win. Usually that's the burger, most days. Let's just be real. But immaturity, come on, oh, 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 immaturity and out of discipline, our will can overpower our wants until our want is transformed. Listen, if all you ever have is will, and you don't have any wants, you can be the most disciplined person and look like you're serving God and look like you're following God and you can have all the scriptures memorized and you can lift your hands and during the song and move around a little bit just in time. You can do all the right things, but is it burning in your heart to love God, to serve God? This is what David had. He had this desire. God didn't just have his will. He had his, he had his wants. This, God, I'll take anything. King, great, Whatever. If I'm the king, great. If I'm the shepherd, great. If I'm the warrior, great. If I'm the giant slayer, great. I just want God. Would God get a hold so much of our desires that we'd have a heart that longed after him? This is what God saw in David. And listen, stop just loving God out of your obedience. What is the measure of your depth? Do you, you might have to get disciplined to get there, but God doesn't want you serving him as a burden. Let's just get real. You're not going to get to heaven and God go, God goes, well, it was real hard for you to serve God. You acted like it too. But I'll give you some merit because it was harder for you. Whereas you get the other person that's just like, I'm so in love with you, Jesus. Here I am. I've loved you passionately my whole life. And God's like, come on. God, God wants you to have a heart that's ravished, the heart that's electric to serve him. Sure, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be hard days, and you're going to have to get, exemplify the maturity and the discipline to not eat the cheeseburger. But God wants to transform. He wants you to love him with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and your strength. God wants you to love him to the core. He wants to transform your desires. And this is what David had. David had a desire to serve God. It wasn't just he was so disciplined. We focus so much on how solid they are, how strong they are, how disciplined they are in their walk, how they've got it all together and they've got all the lines crossed and all the T's, T's crossed and the I's dotted. They're just, they've got their life in order. This is me sometimes. And God's like, I want your heart. I want you. I don't want just your sacrifice. And this is what Saul had. He had the sacrifice, but he had a disobedient heart, and it led to his downfall. The third thing that David had is drive. See, David had a lot of drive. He had a lot of passion. But it's not like my desire, my passion. 
not a lot, lot of, not a lot like, like my drive. My drive is very driven m- most of the time for Josh Brown. Let's just be real. And for you too. Most of your drive is for you to get the promotion, to get the job, to be liked, to be approved, to get the girl, to get the money. Let's just be real. This is the way our world operates. But God's saying, I want to be the source of your drive. Why did God reject Saul and not David? Why? Because David disobeyed. We'll see later. David made a lot of mistakes. So why would God reject Saul but not David? I mean, isn't that a little shady, God? Isn't that unfair? No, see, see, listen. Saul was willingly, deliberately disobedient. And David, although weak at times, his desire and his life drive, his will and his want was God. It wasn't even about doing great things for God. I want to influence thousands. David would have been just content as being a shepherd boy. I'm totally convinced. He would have been content for the rest of his life. Why? Because his drive was God. Well, surely God has called you to more than that. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really care in this context. The reality is, is will you love God in the little? Will you be driven towards his presence when there's nothing for anyone else to recognize? And let me, let me say this. God knew what he was getting into with David. He knew that he was hot-tempered. He knew that he, he potentially was, was lust-filled. Listen, can I tell you that God knew when he picked you what he was getting into? And he still picked you. So I guess, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know they were screwed up. Didn't know that they were that dysfunctional or I would have picked someone else. God knew. God knew David's potential for greatness, and he knew his potential for problems. God knew it. God knew that David would struggle with lust. God knew that David would try to cover that lust up. God knew it, but he still picked him. See, even in, listen, and we're going to talk about that sin later. Even in the, 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 the weakness of David, he still had a heart that longed after God. That blows me away. Which, which, which also cautions us as people to not to judge someone according to their weakness. Because they blow it sometimes. Or because they're inconsistent sometimes. Or because they're mean sometimes when they have a bad day. Maybe they still have a heart that longs after God. Maybe they're just weak like David was. It's crazy how we celebrate David's life. But the people that we choose to dislike will hammer them on those issues. Listen, we can maintain an obedient and yielding, yielded spirit and get it wrong at times. This is so important for you to understand. You are going to screw up in your life. You're going to make mistakes, but will you be like Saul and try to power through in pride or will you go to the Lord in your weakness? This is... This just was so liberating for me about 15 years ago. I thought I just had to be so freaking perfect for God to like me. I thought I had it all, get it all figured out. Got to be sorted, ABC, in order to have a heart that really, if I really loved God, I would quit sinning entirely. If I really, if I really wanted to chase the Lord, my drive would be better. 
Let me tell you the difference. The difference is where do you go when you sin? It's not if you sin. You're going to. You're going to sin. Let's just get that. Let's just put those cards on the table. You're going to blow it at times. But what are you going to do when you sin? Are you going to go to the Lord or are you going to go from the Lord? And this is what reveals whether our spirit is obedient or not. We can maintain obedient and willing spirit, yielded spirit, and get it wrong at times. However, if we have a prideful spirit, we will always get it wrong, even if it looks right. And this is what the religious people had. This is the problem that Jesus had with the religious people. They did all the right stuff, but their hearts were so far from God. He said, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. I want your heart. See, unlike Saul, David never let his purpose interfere with his identity because he found his identity in fulfilling God's purpose. David was a man whose heart was set on God. Not having people like him. Not on winning battles. Even when he went to Goliath, which we'll talk about, he's like, you're offending the Lord. It was all about God. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Where is your desire? Where is your will? Where is your want? You know, David had such patience. Going back, that would have been me. I would have been knocking on, I would have been, I would have showed up at Saul's door with a sword. It's my turn. The Lord's gone. But David didn't show up at his door with a sword. He showed up at his door with a harp. He was the same boy that God found in that shepherd. And even at the end, the the boy, the, the shepherd boy, he is the same boy. The same boy that was the shepherd is the same boy that was a king. He never lost that drive. This is why David's heart was so pure. Even when he screwed up. Because it was all about God. Where's your heart? One thing I ask. Not influence. Not nations. Not accolades. I want God. This is what I seek. To gaze at the beauty of the Lord forever. That's what I want. God's like, what do you want? I want you. Thus his patience. Thus it would be the next 15 years before he would lead anybody except for some sheep and a couple of renegades. Thus it would be another 20 years before he led the children of Israel and Saul chasing him down and trying to kill him every time David turned around. His loyalty questioned, his heart questioned, years, decades, David following God. And he did it in the pasture and he did it in the palace. He had a heart that longed after God. I know I need to finish, but listen, in 2007-ish, I don't really know exactly have the exact year, but God really started putting on our heart to pastor. 
and we had been doing youth ministry, you know, for a long time. And there was just this burden in my heart. Like God was saying, listen, you're, it, something's shifting. Your assignment is shifting. And there were times over the next three years that I wish God would have never told me that because I grew very discontent in what I was doing because I was wanting to move into the next thing. But can I tell you that it was the grace of God to not let me move into that. We, we suffered. We suffered because we were not patient and we were not stewarding well what God had put in our hearts. We, our marriage struggled because of it. There was no adultery. There was no, no grave sin. But man, we, we struggled. We were stressed out. We felt like we were on a treadmill. We were working hard, going nowhere. That's what it felt like. But I really, I, I know this, that if I would have just dug in and said, God, it's not really about the direction of my life. It's really just about you and your presence. And I'm totally okay if I'm, if I'm doing it here in El Paso for the rest of my life. As long as I'm just loving God and I allow you to not open the doors, I'm not going to knock down any doors. Can I tell you, don't knock down any doors. Don't get anxious. Just because God called you to do it don't mean the time is now. Let's just be honest. And there's things that God can start training you in, and that's great. You can think in the context, one day we will do it this way. But listen, don't allow the one day to become your obsession. Always allow him to become the obsession. Don't Listen, don't get so caught up in your purpose. Your purpose, listen, God's plan for you is not his greatest plan. His greatest plan is that you would love him, that you would be obsessed with him. That's his greatest plan. I want to change the world. Awesome. Will you dig into Jesus for 20 minutes today? If I had a million dollars, great. What are you going to do with nothing? I'm so lonely. One day when I get a wife, who are you going to love on in your house right now? It was not a context thing with David. Can I tell you, the, the timing, as frustrating, as contentious as it is, as straining and as burdening as it is, listen, it is the grace of God that he has you doing what you're doing right now until that day comes. And if you want to have a heart that pursues the Lord, you're just going to walk in that, through that door when God says walk through.